Hey, everybody, and we are back with another episode of Can't Stop Snapping. This will be the last episode in our series of breaking down all of the original cards that are currently available in the game. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to go over a couple things, which is first, there have been some, there's been some data mining, some leaks of other cards that, you know, are, you know, visible in the code, but aren't currently obtainable in the game. And so those have kind of been seen online. There's been some discussions starting to go around about those. We will have an episode next week covering those. So if you'd like to hear about those, make sure to follow, etc. I will put a spoiler warning uh, in the description of that episode and an intro to that episode to make sure that if you're not wanting to quite hear about those yet, you can come back to it later uh, down the road. Uh, second thing before we get started, I made the mistake as I was discussing with our guest host today about all the six cost cards. Uh, somehow we we forgot to talk about Hulk. Uh, Hulk is one of the first six cost cards you obtain in the game. Uh, and so I just want to make sure that I cover Hulk. Hulk is a six cost card, 11 power, uh, no ability. Um, so, you know, most people aren't playing Hulk uh, very quickly after you start to unlock more cards. But he does play into that genre of not having the ability. So he's boosted by certain locations, certain other cards. Uh, but just didn't want to skip talking about Hulk, even though though it's brief. But uh, with that being said, again, make sure to follow the podcast. This is our last episode covering the base cards in the game. But we will be back with episodes about locations, about monetization, about the leaked cards, about uh, deck building, etc. Uh, in the coming weeks. So make sure to follow the podcast please if you'd be willing uh you know leave a a review leave a rating of the podcast on your favorite podcast platform just to help with exposure for the group uh with that all being said thank you for listening as always and let's dive into today's episode hey listeners we are back with our final episode of breaking down the cards that are currently in the game Thank you for joining us in this series of episodes to kind of kick off this podcast. Uh, Really excited to have you here for the conclusion. There is a lot of uh, spicy flavor to these cards we're going to be talking about today and just a lot of fun and unique uh, mechanics that we're going to be describing. So once again, I am joined by a co-host for this episode. I am joined by Gator. Gator, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? What's up, guys? I'm Gator. I've been playing an absolute ton of Marvel Snap the past couple of weeks. It's been crazy. Uh, I finished, I think it was like rank 230 last uh, last season. I've been streaming on Twitch almost every day, and it's just been an absolutely phenomenal time. Love the game right now. Awesome. Well, we are glad to have you here. I'm sure you've seen kind of the meta evolve, but also we're going to be talking about some cards that really haven't been unlocked by a lot of people yet. And so we're going to be talking about what we've seen with some of these cards, but we will be talking also about, you know, some theory crafting and what may be and how these cards can play into, uh, you know, different archetypes, etc. So let's dive in here. So this will be all of the six and above cost cards. So kicking off here, first up, we have Agatha Harkness, very unique card. Agatha is a six cost, 13 power card, and her ability reads, Agatha starts in your hand and plays your cards for you. Uh, I don't think a ton of people have unlocked this one, uh, but I've seen some people kind of randomly generate it. We also have a, a location that does something similar. Have you seen this pop up in any games kind of as a randomly generated card yet? I have, and I want to say, out of every single card we're going to see today, 
This is the worst one out of everything. This thing is, if you ever play Agent 13 and you, and you generate Agatha Harkness, you will lose the game on the spot. There's actually no AI that goes into Agatha. She literally just plays cards randomly. And it is one of the most brutal card texts out of any card in the game. I mean, this thing will just lose the game on the spot. It's not even like a well-statted card. It's just, just bad. I don't know. You don't want this card. Yeah, yeah I mean, I saw, uh, you know, when people first saw this revealed, everybody's thinking, man, it's going to, like, play the game for me. I can just, like, grind, you know, AI, just have the computer play for me, whatever. But uh, that's not how it works, like you say. It basically is a... Uh, it's a toss-up right like it's like you know i would even say maybe it's not even a 50 50 chance it may be lower than that but you will lose uh, every game <laughs> every yeah, single game yeah you will lose. yeah I, I think it's a funny card but probably not something that's going to see a lot of play especially in uh you know ladder play so up next we have america chavez america chavez on the other hand we've seen lots of play of uh america chavez you unlock in the second pool of cards so a lot of people have been unlocking her uh, she is a six cost, 10 power card, and her ability reads, you draw this card on turn six and not before. So we've seen some other cards that have a similar ability in the lower tiers. We have uh, Quicksilver and Domino uh, in the one cost and the two cost. Uh, what do you think? America Chavez is better than those cards, uh, worth playing in a lot of decks? So she's actually a lot more similar to Quicksilver and Domino than most people think. Uh, both Quicksilver and Domino are like just like completely terrible cards. You never want to put them in your deck. But Chavez, she's still a pretty poorly stabbed minion for six mana. However, the key difference between Quicksilver, Domino, and Chavez is that whenever you draw a six-cost card early on in the game, it really sucks. It's just bad. If you're playing an aggressive deck lo lower to the curve and you draw a six-drop, it ruins your game plan. It's just not something you want in your hand. Chavez guarantees on six mana every single game, you're going to have a pretty powerful play. So if you're playing a deck like, like Kazar, for example, in my Kazar deck, I believe I have seven one drops in there. By turn six, my hand is empty, right? So if I were to draw a top deck, I'd get a one drop and I'd put like three power on the board and spend one mana. Chavez in these super low to the ground decks, you essentially draw multiple cards worth of mana on turn six. Instead of playing one mana, you spend six mana. You always spend six mana. You always get that constant 10 power. And for decks like that, it's just a super strong finisher. In decks with like other six drops and like full hands on turn six, I mean, a Devil Dinosaur can be more power than a Chavez. So she's mm -hmm. not a card you put in every deck, but when your curve is super low, Chavez is absolutely crazy on turn six. Yeah, agreed. Uh, definitely the combo you mentioned, Kazar and America Chavez, uh, we've seen a lot of play. You know, a lot of people are using that as a combo to uh, to climb the ladder. So. so Apocalypse is another card that, you know, people unlock relatively early. So we've seen some play of it. I've, you know, tried it out a little bit. Uh, Apocalypse is a six cost, eight power card. And the ability reads, when you discard this from your hand, put it back with plus four power. Now, I think this is a unique ability. I think this obviously can stack multiple times, which is powerful. I personally just don't think we've seen enough of the discard archetype in the pool three of cards and beyond unlocked to really have this be viable all the time. But I don't know if you would agree or disagree with that. So I actually kind of have the opposite opinion. I think when you're super early on in the game and you're playing discard, Apocalypse is a decent payoff. You play Lady Sif on turn two, discards your highest cost card. You play a two-mana a two card for four power. 
you get the six mana 12 power on six. It's just kind of decent. But when you're in pool three and you're getting all of these new discard cards, there's just so much more power there than Apocalypse. Like you have to discard this guy at least twice for him to actually be an unfair six drop. Because a, a six mana 12 power is by no means good when you're in pool three. There's so many better options. And when I compare him to someone like Hella, like I get that Hella cannot be, Hella can be discarded and Apocalypse cannot be, but the payoff is just so much higher there. I mean, Hella can pull some massive cards that you've discarded this game. Apocalypse needs, again, two discards. And is a six mana 16 power that strong? I mean, just play, play a dinosaur. <laughs> That's all you have to do. So I'd say early on, solid discard card but later on just like play ghost rider hella there's better cards yeah no that makes a lot of sense i think that's an affair a fair opinion uh, up next is arnim zola arnim is a six cost zero power card and his ability reads on reveal destroy a random friendly card here add copies of it to the other locations uh i think this you know has a lot of power potential uh, being able to get a card duplicated at two locations, uh, right? If you can kind of get the right card targeted by only having one card to destroy it at, uh, at that location. Um, you know, uh, it's very powerful to get a second copy of a card on the board. It's a dangerous card. Getting two copies of potentially very powerful card is like, it's scary. And with Wave being introduced into the game that makes your next turn all your cards cost four, you can potentially cheat out a six drop and then copy it with Zola on turn six. I don't actually see the card that pushes that to being strong though. And when you look mm. at it on a baseline, making two copies of a card you have, it sounds pretty good. Like, you know what? Sure. But typically you're going to play a five drop and then you're going to Zola. So you're pretty much paying six mana for an extra copy of your five drop. I don't know what five drop you want so badly that you want two copies of it, but paying six mana for an extra five drop, I just don't see it. Especially it's random. There's just so many hoops you have to jump through. There might be a card that when you make two of it, it's just going to be crazy. And if you can cheat it out, it'll be strong with Zola. But right now, I just don't see the synergy. Yeah, I think that's a fair opinion. It definitely could be a, good, a better synergy as other cards are released down the road. Uh, up next, we have Blue Marvel. Blue Marvel is a six cost, four power card. His ability reads, ongoing, your other cards have plus one power. Now that is other cards at all locations. This isn't specific to a location, just to be clear. So, you know, if you've maxed out your board, uh, you could potentially get, um, you know, 12 power from this, right? Uh, in addition to the four power he has. So that's, that's 16 power for a six cost. So similar to kind of, you were talking about Apocalypse being discarded twice, but uh, in this case, you don't need to do any discarding. It's just playing them on the board. For the same reason that you had to jump through so many hoops to make Apocalypse a 6-mana 16 power, and that's not even that unfair, it's the same thing for Blue Marvel. Filling your board up over the first five turns with, what is it, it's 11 other minions? That is an insane requirement. This card is egregiously bad. It's kind of interesting if you can, like, cheat it out with Wave and then put an Onslaught on top of it. There's some interesting things there, but if you're swarming your opponent, just play Kazar. It's four mana, it has more power, and just play one drops. It's just a better option than Blue Marvel is. Yeah, I have found that uh, as I've played and I've seen other plays that 
Kazar seems to be more consistent with uh, the deck if you play it right than than Blue Marvel. So uh, up next we have Destroyer. Uh, this is an interesting one. Destroyer is a six cost fourteen power card, uh, so pretty high. But his ability reads: on reveal, destroy your other cards. And you know that is reading other cards, not at a specific location. That's on your whole side of the board. Uh, so definitely leading into that destroy archetype. Right. If you loaded up your board that have cards that have, as they're destroyed have positive effects, uh, you know, Wolverine, Nova, other things, maybe there's some good here. But I don't know. Just clearing your whole board uh, at the end of the game doesn't seem like it's going to be too great to me. But you may have a different opinion. This cards on reveal reads lose you the game on the spot. There's nothing <laughs> to do. I mean, the best possible outcome is you play a Bucky Barnes and a Wolverine. And on turn six, you play Destroyer. You get a six power random location. You get a 14 power location and a random three power card somewhere. If that's something you're building a deck around, I don't know, man. This thing is really bad. On the, It's better than Agatha. Because you can just not play Destroyer when it's in your hand. Agatha forces you to play her game. I have no idea how you could possibly play Destroyer. In any deck. This should have like 20 power at least. Infinite's requirement is way easier than this. Yeah. Yeah, I think um I think this could be powerful given you know certain cards being added to the game that you know have more to do with the destroy archetype and and being destroyed, you know, regenerates them or duplicates them, etc. But right now, uh yeah, I don't think anybody's going to be playing this in a they deck would need right to now. print like a five power when this is destroyed make like a 30 power thanos or something something crazy because this is unreal bad yeah well i'm interested to hear your opinion on this next one uh you know because of the stat line but uh up next we have dr doom dr doom is a six cost five power card the ability reads on reveal add a five power doom bot to each other location so essentially for six mana, you are getting 15 power, but it's divided up five, five, five across the three locations on the board. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, obviously, you can kind of spread that power out, which is different than some of the cards we've been looking at so far today. But, you know, what, what is your opinion? Good, bad, middling? So a lot of the cards we've seen today have not been very good. I keep going after, like, you have to jump through this hoop and that hoop for six mana for an X amount of power. You know what, Dr. Doom, you play him on turn six, you get 15 power. Just like some stats, you know what? It's a solid six drop. Out of all the six drops, he's probably one of, if not the best, just like, just play him on six, he's just powerful. Like, no hoops to jump through, no synergy. You pay six mana, you get a ton of stats. Honestly, just love the card. It just, it's just, just good. Yeah, and I do think, you know, being able to maybe play, a cl- or play across more locations than your opponent is expecting on the last turn of the game, you know, may turn the tides in your favor. So that's something to keep in mind. Up next, we have Galactus. Galactus is a six cost, three power card. I, you know, I'm kind of surprised by the low stat there, but uh, on reveal, if this is your only card here, destroy all other locations. Um, yeah, I... I don't feel like this is good. So nobody has Galactus yet. 
Uh, I'm not even sure if he's unlockable in the game. He might just be like randomly generatable. I'm, I mean, we don't know yet. This effect is actually super powerful. You pay a big drawback. And again, if you play it on turn six, you lose the game on the spot. Yeah. But there's cards like Wave. If you play Wave on turn three into a turn four Galactus, into a big five drop and a big six drop, you're probably going to win the game. Pair it with Death. Death is, is a nine mana card that has, I believe, 12 power that costs one less for every card that was destroyed this game. Every card that, that Galactus deletes counts for that. So you can get super cheap, super big minions. And if your deck just has large cards in it and your opponent's more of a swarm deck, Galactus just beats them. This is not the kind of card that we can really analyze until we play it. Some people are saying you play Thanos, you draw through your deck. I don't know about the Thanos idea. That seems like a bit of a meme to me. But if there's a way we can draw Galactus consistently every game and play him on turn turn four, turn five, play a death alongside him, that sounds like a real winning game plan to me. I'm not sure if the tools are there yet, but once we unlock all the cards, something might actually come out of this card. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how, uh, how consistent a Galactus play could be later on. So, Up next, we have Giganto. Um, Giganto is a six cost, 14 power card. And his ability reads, you can only play this at the left location. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's a, a bad stat line with the 14 power. And obviously there is a slight limitation here. You can only be played at the, the left location. Um, but obviously you normally in your control to leave that spot open. Uh, though, you know, how Marvel Snap works, right? There may be a disfavorable location in the left location, right? That would make you not want to play it as much. So um, an interesting card to be sure. I don't remember the pool this is in, but it's either in pool two or pool three. If this was in pool one and a new player unlocked this early, this is actually a super solid card. Again, we're talking about stats. When you really get down to things, how much mana are you paying for how many stats? Six mana for 14 power early on. You know what? It's just good. It's just a decent drop. And if you unlock this early, maybe even predetermined to replace Hulk in your deck, I'm not sure. It's actually quite good. But right now, by the time you unlock it, you have so many better options. You just don't put him in your deck at any point. He's not that bad, though. Like, 6 mana, 14 power. It's decent. You just get the card too late when you have better options already unlocked. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, you know, we don't... You know, if we have like, uh, you know, we have some cards that will power certain, you know, certain spots on the board or, you know, uh, you know, the, the spot to the right of you is given additional power, etc. It'll be interesting to see if there's any synergies later on of like that specifically buff cards at the left location or something where this, you know, has a synergy. But for right now, I, I agree with you. I think we're not going to see a lot of play with this once more people unlock it. So... Uh, up next is a card I have seen more and more people start to play with uh, in the last couple of days, just as more people are unlocking cards that have move synergy, uh, is Heimdall. Heimdall is a six-cost, eight-power card. Uh, the ability reads, on reveal, move your other cards one location to the left. Okay, so it kind of takes your board and it shifts everything that it can to the left. Obviously, if spots are already full, then it won't. Um, but this plays well with uh, multiple man and you know several other cards that 
kind of get buffed or benefited by shifting? Unbell is actually a crazy card. It's not greatly statted. I know I've been saying stats, stats, stacks. Six mana for eight power is pretty bad. I admit it. Okay, fine. But this on reveal effect has the potential to just completely change the dynamics of the game. I'm talking even outside of a movement deck. It's just your opponent is playing the game around what they see. And if you just have a Heimdall in your hand, the reality of the game that's being played is so much different from what your opponent sees. That kind of deception, what Heimdall unlocks, is actually extremely powerful. And in a move deck, I mean, it's unreal. I mean, you, you buff a Vulture, you buff a Dagger. You just, you get so much value out of this card. He's crazy in those movement decks. But like, I, I've been playing Wave recently. And I, I needed a 6-drop. And the 6-drops in pools 1 through 3, they're just, they're pretty bad, generally speaking. As I've been saying, all, all these cards kind of being mediocre. Heimdall is like, you just put him in your deck. And he just sometimes wins the game on 6. It's not super often. He's not that consistent. But don't underestimate an effect that changes the board this much. And in a movement deck, he's just straight up crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, one of the things we've talked about on a lot of the episodes is, you know, there's all these cards and they have these different synergies with each other. But a big piece of Marvel Snap is that bluffing of where on the board are you trying to win, right? You're trying to win at least two of the three locations. So your, your opponent's trying to figure out where you're investing, where you're not investing, and they're playing to that. And Heimdall really can just throw you for loop. I mean, I've lost the games in this exact scenario, right? I played thinking one thing with my opponent, and then too late, I realized they were doing this, and it was able to you know steal the game from under me. So I, I think it's a powerful card. So the next Hela is one you've already mentioned a little bit. Hela is a six-cost, six-power card, and her ability reads, on reveal, play all cards you discarded from your hand to random locations. What are your thoughts on Hela? Hela probably has the biggest ceiling out of any card in the entire game. I mean, if you discard an Infinite, even just like a Hulk, you're paying six mana for so many stats. It's actually kind of incredible. The problem with Hela, though, is she's a six-drop. And she's not Chavez. So she can just sit in your hand and get discarded from the cards you're playing to synergize her with. You can maybe copy Hela. So maybe play a Moon Girl, get two copies of Hela for that protection against her getting discarded. But the fact that she can get discarded, it's worrying. There might be some ways to abuse her down the line. But right now, you kind of just put her in a deck with big cards in a deck that discards, and you just kind of hope she doesn't get discarded. The ceiling here is super high, but the fact that, again, she can just get discarded, it's scary. I would look at a card like, I think it's, it's called a Ghost Rider. Is it, do I have that correct? The three yep. drop? Yep. So Ghost Rider is a card that it summons a random card you discard in this game. There's some obvious synergy there where if you're playing a deck that's built around discarding high-cost cards, Ghost Rider is very efficient. Hella is very efficient. And if you discard Hella, Ghost Rider can bring back Hella, and that can be very powerful as well. So there's lots of potential here, but high cost cards that play around discard synergy without can't be discarded text, it's just kind of weird. But I feel like someone's going to break this card eventually. Yeah, there's definitely some risk versus reward here, but uh, I agree with you. I think the ceiling is very high. Being able to play 
several cards across the board, you know, on the last turn, huge amounts of power could be, could be, you know, nigh unstoppable if we get it right. You know, somebody can get the right strategy going. So up next we have leader leader is a six cost four power card. The ability reads on reveal call copy all cards your opponent played this turn, but on your side. Now I haven't seen this played at all yet. So I don't know if the copy I'm assuming the copy will play all the cards your opponent played, but copy them to the, the, uh, you know, the reverse, sorry, not the reverse, the identical location that they played them. If you have space available, does that make sense? Does that sound right to you? It is. And the last thing you said, if you have space available is the problem when your opponent and you are both playing a Marvel snap game, you're playing a certain amount of cards per side. They are too. Both of your decks are built around filling the sides of the board differently. Leader is technically, just by the numbers, you play a six drop, you get four power plus your opponent's six mana turn. That's good. You do your opponent plus four. The problem is that your board is not designed for your opponent's hand. And when you play leader, let's say you, you have no space. They play three cards. You're not getting their three cards. So the fact that he's very, and again, you can also just not be playing for a certain location and then they play on a location. And if you're just mirroring their play, you're getting no value out of it. So leader's a card that looks good on paper, but when you, when you analyze cards, you have to think what's the best case scenario, what's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario is taking your opponent's six drop plus four. How good is that? It's not that great, right? Mm -hmm. Breaking yeah. leader is really, really bad. So the risk is high. The reward is four power on a six drop. That's not very impressive to me. I don't like this card. Yeah. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I, I don't think this, you know, with the game so short and the board so small, relatively speaking, right? Like the possibility that you're going to have the correct spots open to really take advantage of what they're doing is, is just unlikely. So up next, we have Magneto. Uh, I love this art. Magneto is a six cost, 12 power card. Ability reads, on reveal, move all opposing three and four cost cards to this location. So essentially, you can throw off your opponent, pull any three or four cost cards across their board uh, to this location, obviously filling it out, maxing it out uh, at the four cards available to be played at a location. So you look at this card. I look at this card. You're paying six mana for 12 power. We've established that's it's not too great, right? And you're moving opposing three and four cost cards. When I read that, I'm not very impressed. I'm not going to lie. It seems pretty dull to me. But actually, I was playing yesterday, and I was playing Devil Dino, right? I believe my opponent was playing hard for mid, and we were both competing for the right-hand land. And I had a Dino in the right lane. My opponent played Magneto to bolster his mid lane and then pull my Dinos out of the lane we were fighting for and into the lane he had already won to make them useless. He won the game off that play. I'm not sure if this card is actually good or not, but initially I thought it was just unplayable and it had no purpose. But with dinos being so strong, like a three cost card has like 10, 12, 14 power right now. Maybe there's something, maybe it's just kind of an efficient card. You're playing wave, you need some big minions. Six drops aren't great. Maybe this utility is good enough. I don't think it is, but 
in a meta where three meta cards have 10, 12, 14 power, there might be something here. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely, it's more of a, I see it as more of a defensive card and the fact that you're trying to throw off your opponent's strategy or lock them out or, or throw off their, like you're saying, you're throwing them off from winning a certain location more than it is winning you a location per se. Um, so we'll just have to see what other strategies and offensive strategies this could counter as a defensive card. So up next, we have Odin. Odin, you unlock, you know, kind of in the, the beginning phases of the game. So everybody's used Odin. Uh, Odin is a six cost, eight power card. Ability reads on reveal, activate the on reveal, on reveal abilities of your other cards at this location. So essentially, if you're able to load up, you know, when I played Odin, you, you try to load up your location with, the three other cards being on reveal, uh, you know, and then you play this card, you get eight power, which isn't huge, but then potentially you get all of those abilities another time, uh, which, which can be powerful, but I don't know if it's as powerful as some, of the, as some of the things we've talked about today. So Odin is a solid card when you unlock him. And I actually love this card's design because you get him so early. And when you're playing an Odin deck, you feel like you're playing a real deck with real synergies. You're playing your own reveal cards. They're doing kind of powerful things. You have this payoff card at the end. It all feels very good. And I applaud the devs for making like a starter deck like Odin that actually feels like a cohesive unit. This card is pretty awful though. I mean, the classic curve in the early game stages is White Tiger on five into Odin on six. That's like the bread and butter. That combo is going to win you a lot of games when you unlock Odin. And I enjoy playing that combo myself. But you played you paid five mana for an eight power minion. That's not very good. And you paid six mana for a 16 power minion. Like, okay. A, a 15 power minion. It's not great. It's not phenomenal. There's some nice synergy here with like the Guardians of the Galaxy playing Rocket Raccoon. You play Star Lord, you play Groot. Odin becomes kind of like a location winner. If your opponent's playing for a location, you can play Odin on six and get like 15 power from him. But again, six mana for 15 power in a build around card, it's not great for later stages in the game. But early game, Odin, phenomenal card. White Tiger into Odin, you're gonna win a ton of games in the early stages of Marvel Snap. Yeah, and you know, there are locations that kind of duplicate on reveal abilities, and that was one of the featured locations early on in the, in the beta. And so, you know, that's all a lot of play as well. but. We'll just have to see. I mean, I'm sure more on-reveal cards will be added to the game as time goes on. So we'll see, you know, what other synergies Odin has as time goes on. Up next, we have Onslaught. Onslaught is similar, but different. Uh, Onslaught is a six-cost, six-power card, so worse stat line than Odin. Uh, the ability reads, ongoing, double your other ongoing effects at this location. So similar to Odin, you're kind of getting all of the ongoing locations uh, twice. Obviously, ongoing means they're, they're continuously happening, but basically... If you get three cards with ongoing locations, kind of best case scenario at one location, you throw it on Onslaught, then you get all of those things duplicated, right? So again, very powerful in the early game. Do you think it'll be powerful in the late game? I think Onslaught is always terrible. Uh, he's very good at winning one location. He's phenomenal at that, actually. You play an Iron Man on turn five. You play pretty much any other ongoing effect besides like what claw and kazar it usually plays for the location you're playing on right now and that's really the problem with onslaught with odin 
you're getting white tigers, you're getting iron hearts. It's providing support to other lanes that are not the lane you're putting your six drop in. But Onslaught just overkills a lane super hard. If its ongoing effect is actually giving you good value, that means you've committed other high cost ongoing effects to your current location. I actually was playing Onslaught uh, with Wave. So Wave lets you cheat a card again on turn four. And when you play Onslaught on turn four, there's kind of some interesting things you can do. You can like Kazar and Blue Marvel and Claw. And I actually played probably like 20, 25 games trying to make some sort of an Onslaught thing work. There's just not enough ongoing effects that help your lane and another lane powerfully. Claw into Onslaught is not a good curve. You're not getting good stats for that curve. If a magical ongoing card comes out, where most of its stats are in the ongoing effect, but it affects two lanes at once. It has to be a really good card, by the way. You can play Onslaught on six and probably do pretty solidly. But right now, again, if you have a dino in a lane, you're already feeling good. You, you do not need a six drop for a second dino in that lane. Iron Man, same thing. Punisher, Captain America, all of these cards. You're already committed to the lane. So you commit... And Onslaught makes you commit more. There's still another lane you have to win. And Onslaught does not help you win two lanes. It helps you win one. And in a game where you have to win two lanes to win, I just don't like it. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. I mean, obviously, Mr. Fantastic, he buffs the, the two lanes. So you play him in the middle. He could buff the two lanes to the side. But then you double that and you're only getting four additional power. Right. Yeah, you, you use the six drop yeah. to, uh, to give two power to an adjacent lane. <laughs> Not great. Yeah, not really going to, you know, get you across the finish line there at the end. So, well, up next is another card that you get relatively early on. And I don't think is very great, but we'll see what you think. Uh, Spectrum is a six cost, four power card. So one of the, the lowest stat lines we've seen. Her ability is on reveal, give your ongoing cards plus two power. So that is across the whole board. Um. You know, obviously this wants to play into a deck where you're going to have lots of ongoing cards on, on the field. So, you know, it's kind of like Kazar where you get, you know, a buff to specific card or like Blue Marvel. Um, and you can spread that across the board. I don't know. I just haven't seen it be as consistent as I'd like it to get really high power returns from this. So the card I comp the, the archetype I compare a Spectrum deck to are Murloc decks in Hearthstone. So Murlocs... When you play them in Hearthstone, they're essentially small minions that reward you for playing more of themselves. When you're building a Murloc deck, all you do is you search up the word Murloc and you just put cards that say Murloc on them. Because the more Murlocs you put in your deck, the better all of your Murlocs get and the more, and they just, they all just synergize and they boost each other up. Spectrum is the exact same thing. You just put cards in your deck that have the word ongoing. Colossus, awful card, two mana, three power. Ongoing effect does essentially nothing. It reads ongoing. It's actually a pretty good two drop in a Spectrum deck. It's two mana, five power. It's not bad. I really like the fact that Spectrum exists and she allows for very linear decks. You play a one mana card and man, phenomenal in the deck. It says ongoing, a two drop. You play your Colossus, it says ongoing. He'll get buffed. Captain America, Punisher, Warpath, Namor, Iron Man, all of these cards that just stay ongoing, 
and then you play Spectrum, and she's like, all the cards you've played this game are pretty well stabbed. That's pretty much her battle cry. Or on reveal, sorry. So unlike Onslaught, she helps other lanes, and she spreads out the power. She's way better than Onslaught. Like, she's actually kind of viable. If they're better ongoing cards, she actually could be pretty good. Because we think Nova's broken, right? Mm-hmm. Nova's getting nerfed. That card is not staying at plus two power. Spectrum, if your whole deck just says ongoing, that's Nova. That is just what that is. So if we have more solid ongoing cards printed, and you can curve out, preferably like one and two cost ongoing cards, because the more you play, the better. If you play a one man ongoing card, two, three, four, five, you're not getting as many buffs as more of like a swarm ongoing effect. Yeah. But that, is, that on reveal is super strong, and it helps multiple lanes. Spectrum's quite nice. A lot better than Onslaught, and there is a world where she's pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a definitely a fair assessment. You you may have swayed me a little bit there. I'll, I'll have to see how things go in the future, but uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, up next we have a card that has some serious flavor to it. Uh, Thanos. I have several tabs open to talk about Thanos. Thanos is a six cost, eight power card. The ability reads: at the start of the game shuffle the six infinity stones into your deck well you may ask what are the six infinity stones so we will be going through those uh first we have the mind stone is a one cost one power card that reads on reveal draw two stones from your deck next we have the reality stone it is a one cost one power card that reads on reveal transform this location into a new one draw a card Uh, time stone is a one cost one power card It reads, on reveal, draw a card. Next turn, you get plus one energy. The next card is the Space Stone, which is a one cost, one power card that reads, on reveal, next turn, you can move one card at this location. Draw a card. Next, we have the Soul Stone. The Soul Stone is another one cost, one power card that reads, on reveal, draw a card. Ongoing. Enemy cards here have minus one power. And last, we have the Power Stone, a one-cost, three-power card that reads ongoing. If you've played all six stones, Thanos has plus 10 power wherever he is. Uh, Very interesting, very flavorful. So obviously, if you get that plus 10 buff to Thanos, that is a six-cost, 18-power card. But really, you're having to spend the six power on all the stones throughout the game as well. Thanos is a card we're not going to understand until we unlock it and we start playing it. Right now, I've seen some theory crafts of people playing Galactus and their draw engine being Thanos paired with cards like Quinjet, which makes your one-cost cards cost zero. I believe Falcon and Beast return cards to your hand. And the idea is to play these stones and cycle them and do all this crazy stuff. It's a lot of hoops to jump through. And you have to keep in mind, if you're playing these stones to draw to a specific card, just by putting Thanos in your deck, you diluted your deck a ton. So you have have to not only play each stone once to make it back to how many cards you added to your deck, you have to bounce them and keep bouncing. I mean, keep drawing these bad cards that only work with stones. And that are, I mean, you're playing two mana for like a Falcon, three cost, and it throws your one cost cards back in your hand. Then you spend your turn three playing some one ones. 
it just doesn't sound like a game plan that's winning any Marvel Snap games. It sounds, I mean, you're jumping through so many hoops. And by the end of it, you might draw like three or four cards deeper into your deck. I don't think you ever want this card in your deck. I'm willing to be wrong and for Thanos to come out and just be like the nuttiest card in the game. But right now, I mean, you don't want to dilute your deck with these random one-cost cards. Are the Infinity Stones good standalone cards? Yes. But usually, a bunch of, I mean, you can't, it's like a, what, a 15, 16, 17 card deck? There are good cards in your deck you want to draw to. You're playing some cards that are the cornerstone of your deck. This just dilutes your deck. You have to pay these one-man attacks to get your cards back. This just seems clunky. And if you're paying it just for that Soul Stone payoff, as I've been saying this whole time, six mana for a stat stick has to be a huge, huge, huge stat stick. Six mana for 18 power with the precondition of having played six of these stones that is not that good. Like I'm saying, it's just not. It has to be more than that. Right now, I think this card is not great, but there is a chance Thanos comes in, someone finds the deck, and just breaks the game. I'm willing to be wrong when that happens, but on a baseline, I don't think he's that strong. Yeah. I think, uh, like you're saying, I, I, I think I want somebody to find a way to break the game with this just because it's just so much flavor, you know, Thanos searching out the stones and uh, just if there's some strategy that can work and it's fun to watch, I think it'd be so fun. But, you know, we will see. We will see once people unlock him and, and how that plays out. Uh, up next, we have the Infinite, another card you've referenced a little bit here. So Infinite has the highest base stat line here. So it is a six cost, 20 power card. The ability reads, if you played a card last turn, you can't play this. Uh so we've, you've talked about Wave. Wave is a new card in the game. So obviously if you play Wave on turn three to lower your card's cost to four on the next turn, you wouldn't be able to use that on Infinite to play it early because you obviously played Wave on the last turn. So you know, as of right now, you really are locked down to this being on turn six unless there's a location that lowers costs of cards, et cetera. But uh, what are your thoughts on Infinite? Yeah, so Infinite's text is very restricting. It makes it so that most of the ramp cards, I think almost every single one apart from Electro, you can't actually ramp into this card because you have to play the ramp card the turn before and then play your thing you're ramping into. But Infinite blocks that. The powerful thing about Infinite is, first of all, a 6 mana 20 power that you have to pass your turn by for, it's, it's not actually good. Again, I just said Thanos, a 6 mana 18 power is not like, ridiculous a six mana 20 power you have to pass your turn five four is it's pretty bad however there's cards like sunspot sunspot rewards you for skipping your turn five so instead of 11 mana effectively for skipping a turn and playing infinite you're paying for, for 20 power you're getting you're paying 11 mana for 25 power it's better we're still not there yet I think the main use of Infinite is going to be in decks that can make use of the fact that there is a card in my hand that says 20 power on it. I'm thinking, not necessarily Hela, but I'm thinking Lady Sif, discarding Infinite, playing a Ghost Rider. That is crazy. Jubilee, pulling an Infinite. Crazy. Just the fact that this card says the number 20 on it. Just 20. Anything that pulls a card from your hand. I mean, if, if your opponent leeches you 
and you just play him for on six, you just win the game. There's a lot of potential in this card. I don't think this will ever find a home in a deck that wants to just play it on turn six because they skip turn five. Because even with Sunspot, it's not a great curve. But that card says 20 power, and that's dangerous. I will also note, Twitch chat loves this card. This card and Leech, that, that, that's their favorite cards by far. So especially Leech, though. Leech, Leech takes the cake for them. Yeah, uh, I've seen I've seen multiple people in in their Twitch streams say something like, "I'm going to play the leech for chat, right?" Like or, or things I can like talk that. About leech for like hours. This card, uh, random five drop discussion. Leech is one of the worst cards in the game. Okay, continue, continue. Infinite, <laughs> interesting card. Leech, less interesting. Very bad. Yeah, I, I would have to agree there. Uh, up next, we have the last six cost card, but we will have one after this, which is a nine cost that you've already referenced, but uh, Ultron is a six cost, seven power card that has the ability on reveal, create four one power drones at each adjacent location. Um, and I believe that is only on your side of the board, not on your opponent's side of the board, correct? Correct. So when this card was revealed, someone actually pinged me and they, and they were like, is this card a meme? Is this actually real? This is on its baseline, one of, if not one of, it's, it's so bad. Like, I'm sorry. You need four spaces on each adjacent side. You have had to have played no cards in your adjacent locations, and you get a six mana 15 power, and you end the game with one populated location and two four power locations. I actually just don't know why this card exists. There's Patriot Synergy. And there were some people that were doing this like super in-depth. If you play one location and you Moon Girl a Patriot and you play Ultron on six, you get four, five power drones. That's still not even that good. And even then, I actually chimed in. I was like, what if you just play Dr. Doom on six instead? And it came out to be like two less power with a card that's better in every other situation. Ultron... I, I don't know why it's here. If this card went from seven power to like 14, no one would care. It still wouldn't get played. This is about like 10 power understated. It's really bad. And like, do you, do you have any ideas about why this card exists? Anything? Give, give me anything. <laughs> I, I need some. No, like you say, like all I can think is, yeah, like Patriot and you're throwing Kazar in there. And you're doing all these things to try to buff these one drop cards, right? And all these things. But, like, that's so much that has to go so right in an exact way with no other variety to it to win. And I just don't think that's ever going to happen consistently. So I will say, if this game did not have board space limitations, there'd be, like, an inch of power in Ultron with a Kazar deck. The problem is you need your board to be, like, almost empty. And... Ultron plus Kazar is going to get you eight power on your adjacent location, which is not going to win you any games. Your opponent plays Nova Nova Carnage. They're going to beat you on that lane by itself. Yeah. Ultron is, uh, it's not a great card to say the very least. Yeah. Well, up next, we have our last card of the episode. You've already referenced this a little bit, but we wanted to go over it one more time. Uh, that is death. Death is a nine cost card. Um, which is very unique. You know, obviously we've seen kind of the uh, the cards follow the cost of the turns. There's six turns in the game. 
Death is a nine cost, 12 power card that reads cost one less for each card destroyed this game. Definitely playing into that destroy archetype. Uh, if you're destroying cards throughout the game, you know, you could lower her cost significantly and play her and another card at the end of the game. Death feels like a really weird design for me. This thing costs way too much mana. Energy, excuse me. Nine energy for 12 power. Obviously, it's not playable, right? How many cards can you destroy in a game apart from Galactus itself? You play a Carnage. You destroy three cards. Now you have a six energy 12 power card. You pretty much have to destroy an entire location twice by turn six for this card to be good. I don't like how limiting it is. It's very good with Galactus specifically because it actually will be zero mana 12 power lots of the time. But I would have preferred this card to cost like four mana, three mana, and have it actually be a destroyed deck synergy card. But you just can't destroy enough cards to make this work. You can't play this many cards and destroy them and still have the mana to play death at the end. In Galactus, though, very dangerous. It turns out a zero mana 12 power in a game you're only playing for one location is that is ridiculous. It's super strong. This is one of the reasons why Galactus is scary. But by itself, I just I don't really like it. Yeah. And it runs the risk. You've kind of already said this, but it runs the similar risk to Hella, where, you know, this card could be... Well, I guess we're talking Destroy. We're not talking Discard. It's Destroy, I guess yeah. yeah. It's, not yeah. Really, it's not an issue, because the yeah. decks also don't have that much synergy. You're not. You're probably not playing a, dis, a Destroyed Discard deck. It's just... It kind of has anti-synergy with the game, which is yeah. not a good thing to have anti-synergy with. Yeah, and especially when it's so quick and... Uh, and um, yeah, the board is so limited in a good way. But uh, yeah... Well, that is the six cost cards. Now, um, before we kind of close things out, I would just love to give you a minute. Just we've talked about a lot of cards here. Uh, you know, obviously there's there's plenty of cons on some of these cards just because they're they're very limiting for what you're doing, kind of using all the mana on your last turn of the game, but or all your energy. But uh, which would you say is your favorite? Now, that could be because of the strategy or the impact you think it has, or it could just be the art, the character. You know, what what is your favorite six plus cost card in the game right now? It has to be America Chavez. I mean, that Kazar deck, uh, Kazar, a bunch of one-cost cards, I've probably played almost a 1,000 games of that deck. And when I pulled her for the first time, that changed the entire deck. Because, again, I went from playing one to two mana on turn six to paying six mana every single turn on turn six. It pretty much added 10 power to my board every single game. And the reason especially that, that, that I say America is that, like, there are not a lot of good six-cost cards in this game. I, I've been very critical. At, that's kind of my, my persona. But they're just not great. And Chavez essentially says, you know what? I know all the other cards in my mana slot are terrible. I'm not going to bother you until you need me. I'm going to show up. I'm just going to give you a good effect on like all of these other six drops in the game. She's reliable. She's solid. And has to be my favorite out of all of them. Awesome. Yeah. I, I think she's one of the most played cards right now with that Kazar uh, combo. And, and I think she'll continue to be for the foreseeable future. So thank you for sharing that. Well, um, Gator, really appreciate you being here on the show. Really appreciate you kind of helping us close out this segment we've had over the last couple of weeks of breaking down all the cards, 
we're going to be moving forward and jumping to new content, but a lot of people have loved kind of listening to these and strategizing about the game. So appreciate you being here, but I just want to give you a minute before we close out um, to just tell users again, how can they follow you? How can they support you? How can they consume the content that you're putting out around this game and other things? Before I shout out myself, I want to shout out you for listening to me insult every single card we've gone through <laughs> for the past like 45 minutes. I bet every other person you've had on has been like, oh, there's some like decent applications. I've just said they suck. And hopefully that bluntness is a, it's a welcome thing on the show. Hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the listeners, uh, you know, they like honesty. So we appreciate that here. Yeah. So if you want more than honesty, where uh, I call things how it is, typically. I call things how they are. Uh, I stream most nights like around 7 p.m. Eastern time around there on uh, twitch.tv slash gator underscore ms. That's gator underscore ms for Marvel's, Marvel Snap. Um, we have a mix of like playing super good decks, meme decks. We try and mix it up, but it, it's, it's a pretty fun time. Uh, I've been enjoying it. Stream has been enjoying it. And again, if, if you want blunt honesty and just Come in, share your deck. I'll give you my honest thoughts. I'm not going to insult you as a person, but if you put Quicksilver in your deck, or especially a Scarlet Witch, you're going to hear about it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again, Gator, for being here. Listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Just remember to follow the podcast, uh, subscribe to it so you can be notified. New episodes starting next week. We will have new episodes covering new topics. We will talk about locations. We will talk about art. We will talk about monetization of the game. We are going to dive into lots of things about this game. So look forward to that. Make sure to follow so you don't miss any episodes. And thank you for listening. Can't Stop Snapping is a podcast written, produced, recorded, and hosted by Michael Thurman. Thanks for listening.